Welcome back to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. You're listening to episode number 17. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat, it's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. I am going to get personal in this episode. I think it's so easy for people to look at my life or the life of anyone who spends a significant amount of time on social media and think that they've got it all together. And I don't think any of us have it all together. I think that we are all perfectly human and that manifests as being imperfect nearly all the time. And we all struggle. We all have great days. We all have days that are filled with happiness and joy and success and love. But we also have days that suck beyond the telling of it. And we tend not to share those days on social media. We tend not to talk about them with our friends and family. We tend to hide from them and feel ashamed about them and do something to make ourselves feel better or at least look better in the eyes of others. And I wanted to come on here today and tell you that the last week or two of my life has been horrible. I've been really struggling. I've been having troubles getting out of bed. I've been having troubles finding reasons to continue practicing medicine. And I don't want to get political here and I don't want to make any commentaries on COVID. But do what I do want to say is that COVID has ruined all of our lives in one way or another. And last week, I had to attend training on critical care triage. This means that I had to learn how us doctors are going to make decisions about who gets to go to an ICU bed and who doesn't, because we're at the point in my province now where we've, we've run out of resources. We don't have enough critical care resources to give to everybody that needs it. And I went to medical school wanting to help people. I went into emergency medicine because I wanted to save lives. And I am now being put in the position where I'm being told that we don't have all of the resources necessary to save everybody's lives. And it's heartbreaking for me. And it reminds me of a time a few years ago when I was working in a refugee camp in Ethiopia. And I went down there with Doctors Without Borders, and I was there just as we were building this new refugee camp for refugees from South Sudan. And in Africa, babies suffer from pneumonia frequently. And when we first built this refugee camp, we had no oxygen. And so babies who needed oxygen but couldn't get it, they just died. And it was hard, and it hurt, and it was painful to watch. 
But then about six weeks in, we got an oxygen concentrator, a single oxygen concentrator, which meant we were now able to give oxygen to babies with pneumonia. But we only had one. And so we couldn't give oxygen to every baby that needed it. And it was infinitely more difficult to make that decision about who gets the oxygen, who, which baby is going to be most likely to survive with this oxygen. And making those decisions and watching babies who didn't get oxygen die was infinitely more difficult. And so when I attended this training, I had all of these memories from working in that refugee camp. And I just kind of broke down a little bit. And I I really struggled with finding a deeper reason for, for wanting to go to work. Um, and so it's been hard. And then I was also talking to a family in my neighborhood who are separating. And they're separating because one wants the vaccine for their children and the other doesn't. And they cannot come to an agreement and it has caused enough strife in their family that they're separating over it. And I've got another family in the neighborhood who is a pilot and he was a pilot for a smaller commercial airline and he's been essentially laid off for the last 18 months and their family is really struggling financially. It's horrible. It is horrible to see so much devastation from this virus everywhere I look. And I've just had a really hard time coming to any sort of peace around this over the last week or two. And it got to the point where I had to ask colleagues to cover my shifts at work because I couldn't rally myself up to go. In fact, today was the first day in 10 days that I actually got out of bed and got dressed and had a shower and took care of myself. I still don't have the answers to the questions, and I still don't have any peace around what's going on inside my mind and my heart, but at least I'm up and moving and I'm dressed and I'm able to sit down in front of this microphone and tell you my story today. You might be wondering what the hell any of this has to do with weight loss, and I'm going to argue that it has everything to do with weight loss, and here's the reason why. I've been watching my thoughts and my emotions and my behaviors over the last 10 days as I, as I struggle through this little bit of a breakdown, and I had an interesting insight into when I've wanted to overeat. So initially, when, when all of this started, I was feeling so anxious and so upset that my stomach actually felt upset and I didn't want to eat anything. And I was okay with that. I allowed myself to honor what I was feeling and I waited to eat until I felt I was able to. And then a beautiful colleague of mine brought me a lemon meringue pie. And he thanked me for everything that I've done for him and our department as its leader. And I should have felt intense gratitude for this kind gesture. But instead, what I felt was huge, overwhelming, heavy shame. Because the first thought that came to mind was, what kind of example am I setting? 
I must be setting an example that I am so weak that I can't handle the fourth wave of this pandemic, that I'm not fit to be a leader of my team, that I am not resilient enough to be an emergency physician, that I just wasn't good enough, all of the things. And of course, when he dropped the pie off, I was wearing pajamas and I hadn't had a shower in two days and my hair was a mess and it was just humiliating beyond the telling of it. That is what made me eat. I didn't have the urge to overeat over my heartbreak, over the critical critical care triaging protocols, my heartbreak over the families in my neighborhood, my confusion over everything, my stress and anxiety, none of that. What made me eat was the shame I felt over feeling all of those things. This was a big deal for me because, you know, I would have assumed that it was the stress of it all or the anxiety that I was feeling that would make me eat. And it was fascinating for me to watch myself go through this and see that it was shame. It was shame that was making me eat and shame where I needed to um, to do the work. And now, ironically, um, I'm right in the middle of this Um, program for women physicians on mindfulness. And so we get an email every week and then we meet together on Zoom for half an hour once a week and we practice meditation. And in the email this week, our fearless leader, Ellen Choi is her name, she, she wrote this amazing sentiment. She said that she's noticed that she can offer Mother Teresa empathy to strangers or people she doesn't know very well, but that she struggles to offer the same generosity to her partner, especially when she's criticized. And she said that she would rather counterattack than listen to what he's saying, because if she actually stopped to listen to what he had to say, she would have to entertain the idea that she wasn't perfect. And I can relate to that so much. I can offer Mother Teresa an empathy to each and every one of my patients, even ones that aren't vaccinated. I can do that fine, but I certainly cannot offer myself any of that empathy. And that's what I, that's what I learned about myself this week, is that self-compassion is so hard to give ourselves. And I work in a field medicine where it is celebrated to work 100 hours per week. It's celebrated when you do 36 hours shifts. It's celebrated when you sacrifice holidays with your families to be with your patients. This is just what's expected to some degree in my profession. And so when I chose to take some time away to allow myself to heal, and to allow myself to get strong again so that I can be fully there for my patients, I felt like I was letting everybody down. I felt I was being selfish. I felt I was being incompetent. And those feelings of vulnerability just left me feeling shame. And then I thought, it's terrible. It's terrible that I feel this way about myself when I have watched colleagues go through the same thing over the past year, year and a half, and I have done everything I can to support my colleagues taking the time away when they need the time to heal. And why can't I 
give the same for myself. And so then I had this interesting thought. What if I'm not a bad example? What if I'm a good example? What if by allowing myself to take a couple of weeks to talk it out, write it out, heal my heart, do what I need to do to take care of myself so that I can be strong again for my patients and my colleagues? What if by allowing myself the time to do that, I am setting the right example for everybody else in my life? And what if by coming on this podcast today and sharing my story, I am showing other people that it is okay to admit when you're a little bit beaten down. And it's okay to take the time off to allow yourself to heal. And that it's not selfish to do that. It's not selfish to do that at all. I think when you compare yourself to the highlight reels of everybody else on social media, you leave believing that you have to be perfect all the time. You have to be happy and productive and serving all of the people in your life and in your work and in your world all of the time. I think if you can take a step back and realize that everybody has challenges, everybody has bad days, everybody feels ashamed, it somehow feels like a much less lonely place. And so I really just wanted to come on here today and say that, you know, this happened. I went to that critical care triaging. I remembered what happened in that refugee camp in Ethiopia, and my heart broke. And I broke down a little bit. And I took time away from work, and I'm healing, and I'm doing, I'm doing what I need to do to get my feet right back on track. So back to, to the eating. I was sitting there and I was eating this very delicious lemon meringue pie. It happens to be my favorite and my colleague knew it. So it was such a beautiful and kind gesture. And as I was sitting there eating it and realizing that there I was in dirty pajamas, messy hair, hadn't had a shower in a couple of days, feeling so ashamed of myself and eating so that I didn't have to feel that shame. And I realized. I don't want this. I don't want this. And I questioned, why the hell am I feeling ashamed? Why am I feeling ashamed? And when I decided instead to think that I am being a positive example to all of my colleagues, that you can take time off when you're broken down and everything will be okay. Soon as I encompassed that thought in my brain, my desire to eat went away and I ate one piece of that pie, put it back in the fridge and that's where it stayed. Had I not been able to step back to really allow myself to see that it was shame that I was feeling and that I was eating to provide emotional anesthesia for that shame, I probably would have finished the whole pie and then I would have felt worse about myself and it would have been days before I'd be able to get myself out of bed, have a shower and get myself back on my feet again. And so here's what I think I've learned from all of this. First is that being in a funk is not a failure. It's just being human. And I think we all do ourselves tremendous disservice by putting the expectation out there that we're not allowed to be honest when we're in a funk, 
that we can't post about our funks on social media, that this expectation that we have to present ourselves to the world as if we're perfect, when all of us humans are so far from perfect, and that's the beauty of being human. So that's the first thing I learned. Second thing I learned is by allowing yourself to take care of yourself when you're beaten down, that's strength. It's strength because we as women have families to take care of. I have patients to take care of. We all have people who depend on us, but we are of no value to these people if we're broken down and beaten up. And so there's strength in taking the time you need to heal yourself when you're broken so that you can be there for yourself and so that you can be there for everybody who needs you. And I think by allowing yourself that time when you need it, it sets an example for everyone around you that it's okay to do the same. And I think if we can change the culture, if we can make it so that it's expected that we take the time to take care of ourselves when we're broken, the world is going to be such a better place. And then the third thing that I've learned from all of this is that there really is power in taking a step back and really looking at what's really going on. Because if my colleague never brought me that lemon meringue pie, and if I didn't, you know, sit down face first into this pie and then stop and take that step back and really ask myself what's going on, I'm not sure that I ever would have understood that I was feeling ashamed and that it was shame that was driving me to not get out of bed in the morning and not have a shower and not take care of myself. Because as soon as I was able to acknowledge all of that shame, it kind of just went away. And as soon as I decided to feel positive about doing what I needed to do for me, the shame went away. And so I just wanted to finish this episode by giving you examples of things that I've done over the last couple of days to help heal my soul, essentially. And I've got to thank my husband for a lot of this, because if it weren't for his encouragement, um, I still might just be hiding under my lovely weighted blanket, binge-watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because that's what I like to do when I'm in a funk. But being outside in the sunshine and getting a little bit of exercise is a really tremendous way of shifting perspective, I think. And so me and my best bud, my dog Charlie, um, and I have been taking um, walks outside um, in the sunshine every day. And it's autumn here. At the time of this recording, it's the very end of September, and the the leaves are, are changing color, and it's so gorgeous outside. And Charlie and I just go out um, for an hour or two, and I don't walk fast. I'm not doing this as a fitness thing. It's just to be, you know, outside and... I feel the sun and I watch Charlie playing in the leaves and I feel true joy. And it reminds me that it's not all about suffering and that even though my heart is broken from all of these things happening around me right now, that there's lots of joy there too. I have been doing a 
whole lot of journaling throughout all of this, particularly around food, to be honest, because I always worry when I'm not at my best that the first thing that's going to go is all of the habits related to what I'm doing to keep myself healthy in terms of my relationship to food and my weight. And I was a little bit concerned that if I started letting go of all of those habits that I was just going to slip back into um, an old way of eating. And fortunately, that hasn't happened. And I think the reason why it hasn't happened is because I've been very intentional about watching myself and writing down what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling um, in terms of food. And I've really been intentional about listening to my body signals and honoring that. And I actually feel really good about how I've navigated this funk um, in terms of food. And I am tremendously grateful, actually, for that whole incident with the lemon meringue pie because I was able to have a piece of it and enjoy it and also learn about what happens to me when I feel shame and just do all sorts of exploration around that. So I think at the end of the day, um, as horrible as it is to have experienced this funk, I think that I've learned a lot from it and that once I get myself back on my feet again, I'm going to be so much stronger for it. So I thank you for listening to me today on this episode and If nothing else, I hope that it encourages you to take time you need when you need it, and that there is absolutely no shame in doing so. Society is going to tell you that you should feel ashamed for taking time for yourself. Society is going to tell you that it's selfish, or that you're weak, or that you're not resilient enough, or whatever other negative messages you're going to get, you're going to get those negative messages if you stop to take the time that you need for yourself. And I am here to tell you that is not true. The best thing that you can do for yourself and for everybody who depends on you is to take care of you. And so I challenge you to do that today and in the future and to really allow yourself to be in your funks when they come on because I think funks are there to tell you that there's something you need to pay attention to. So listen, watch, pay attention to your thoughts and feelings, try and figure out what it's trying to teach you, and then give yourself what it is that you really need. All right, that is it for today. I have no idea what we're going to talk about on the podcast next week. We'll see. It'll be a surprise for both of us. Um, In any case, I'll see you then. 